too old for this. I'm too old to be playing it small. I'm too old to be shy. I'm too old, you know, I, what I have to say matters. And I have this experience now where I can say something and I can back it up. Welcome to the Gritty Genius Podcast. I have badass guest, former teammate and hometown homie, Elizabeth Sanchez. So Elizabeth grew up in Adrian, Michigan, um, but your hometown is Chicago for the past 17 years, where you're raising your family, three kiddos, and your husband while working in sports communication. Me and her share this first love of soccer, and it's really been something that's played a huge role for both of us. And so you're in the communications department for the U.S. Soccer Federation for 15 years, serving as an interpreter, youth national team, press officer, media operations officer. You were one of two venue press officers to manage four matches in the historic Copa America Centenario. You were oversaw three group matches and one with Leo Messi in the hat trick. Oh my gosh. If we have time, can we hear about that? Yes, of course. And a semifinal at Soldier Field in 2016. And then in 2019, you transitioned from an international game to Chicago Fire Football Club, where you are also hyped into signing up for the Chicago Fire Foundation, Chicago Marathon. Uh, and despite being on the cross country team for two years in high school, you would never have called yourself a runner, which if anybody saw your Instagram, they would think different because you are madly consistent and dedicated, like it inspires me on the daily. And now after 21 years, three kids and one marathon later, you definitely are. Sounds like you're still soaking in that maybe. Yeah, okay. I'm the, your favorite slow jogger. Um, and it's also a crazy, amazing day to connect with you because today in California, it's the California International Marathon, you know, coincidental. I ran it once, wouldn't do it again. Open marathons are, are brutal. Yes, um, I can now say I, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, yes, and then this year you ran the Chicago Marathon and you're a finisher. Folks can't see the video, but you have your, your medal right behind you. And I'm thrilled to share this space with you. Uh, so real quickly, I know you by Elizabeth. We played soccer back in the day since high right. school. If you have anybody in your community listen to this, they know you by what? So anyone that knows me from work knows me as E in English or Eli in Spanish. And anyone who's in my family will know me by Chivet, which is also my Instagram name. When I was born, my cousin was like one and a half and he called me Chivet and it's stuff. So people at work call you E? Mm -hmm. And that has yeah. its own story because when I started, well, my maiden name's Aguirre um, and I started at my internship with the Pistons, it's from there even. My initials were EA. So everyone was like, oh, EA Sports, EA, EA. And then I got married. And people didn't know whether to kill, call me EA or call me ES, so it just dropped to E. And so now I'm just E. People, I like it. It's short. It's sweet. I feel you. I, I don't know if you remember back in soccer, people call me G-Money. And I was like, I don't know where that came I, from, but I'm like, I, that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> I do remember. I hope it was because I would kick the ball on the money, right? You know, like, but, you know. Probably. Knows? Well, hey, revisionist history. I don't remember where it came from. I just remember. <laughs> I was like, Gloria, Gloria, G-Money. Okay, it fits. Yeah. So awesome. We'll call you E. Yeah. Or Chivette. Yeah. So, you know, this, int my intention for the podcast, like overall is just to elevate people's voices and their journeys and their stories. I've known you for so long, but your journey in, in soccer and the sports industry as a woman, as a Latina, I think is really powerful and important to elevate uh, your voice and your experience, but also to explore the idea of, of grit and genius, right? The Gritty Genius podcast. So discussing how our greatest 
adversities or challenges in life help grow grit, help grow this persistence and this passion, which I feel like sports is all about. And I relate grit back to just soccer. I just feel like it's just a gritty sport, right? And you're constantly facing adversity to get better. That's the framework for this. With that said, any thoughts on how grit has played a role for you in your life or journey? I was always like as the oldest child in a Mexican household as a woman. I mean, Mario, my brother, is older than I am, but he's the boy. So it was different for him, obviously, than for me. Um, There's always that, like, you have to be the role model. You're responsible for your siblings. You're setting, you know, setting the tone for everything. And it, it creates a lot of pressure. And so relating back to soccer, that grit, that sport, um, my dad and I kind of found it at the same time. Like, he was still learning how to, like, what it was going to be like to raise three daughters in a male dominated society. I was still trying to kind of find a voice, find my feet that wasn't being dictated by someone else. So it was the only time, it was the only place where I could, I actually stood up to someone and was like, no, I do love this sport. It's not, I'm not just saying that I like it because you like it. I like it because I like, and then for the grandmas and theas of the world who were like, this is for boys. What are you doing this? You should be learning how to crochet and embroider. And I did. I'll tell you about that. Also related to soccer. They, this was the one time that maybe the only time that I ever stood up to them and was like, no, I'm not going to stop doing this. I'm not going to stop playing. And that was, so when we would go down to Jerez, where my dad's from for the summer, and I would be out playing with my brother and his friends in the street, I would get pulled in and I would be made to crochet and embroider instead of playing soccer. So now I can do both. And it's pretty funny to me when I sit there and like crochet while I'm watching games. The irony is pretty fantastic. Has it taken on a different meaning? So it's like before it's like you had to crochet as a part of a a gender role that you were supposed to fulfill, Mm -hmm. right? And soccer role where soccer where you got to go against these gender roles and express yourself us women and Latino women, where you're not supposed to be aggressive, outspoken, right. you know? It's funny though, right? Because we like that you think about the fiery Latina trope. So we're either supposed to be super aggressive and outspoken or, but actually in the home, the men want us to be submissive and doting and cooking and cleaning and crocheting and mending and caring for the children. That's that, those two extremes, how do you reconcile that? And so, yes, I think you're right. That's how I reconcile that. And so soccer and sports was the only way where, like when I was out on the field, I could be as aggressive as I wanted and that was okay and that was encouraged. And I could yell at people and lead people and tell people what to do and, but also take it back. You know, people were going to yell at me and tell me what to do. And I had to listen in order to help the, the whole, the team. And so I feel like as far as grit is concerned, that's really where I was able to like lay a foundation, be disciplined with a a goal in mind. Like we wanted to be a better team and and win games. Yeah. And I remember you being such a hard worker, you know, ready to just do what was needed for the team. It's something that I relate to too. Yeah. Soccer was where, yeah, it was acceptable to let out my anger or grief about life, you know, being raised by a single mom and I was the youngest of three. Um, and I saw, you know, my sisters being teenage mothers. And, you know, um, I feel like soccer was the place that I could process my emotions, but also like just that kept me in line, you know, this North Star where it's like, you have an important role somewhere, right? And maybe when you leave the soccer field, no one thinks shit about you, or there's not very high expectations, or you don't know how to make sense of life. But on the soccer field, you do. 
it's so powerful how it can be a space to empower, empower us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Is that something you feel your, your daughter and your kids uh, embrace and kind of know about you? Or? I think so. And it's, it's pretty funny because, so my daughter is the only one that really played my oldest. My oldest is my bonus and his mom put him in cause he wanted to play, but he didn't really, he doesn't like to run. He doesn't want to exert more energy than he has to. And he, but he loves it. We talk about, he loves the fire. He loves the Mexico and the U S national teams. Like he loves the game. He loves to watch. He plays FIFA. Um, and so he, I'm someone that he can talk to that will know what he's talking about. My daughter, she loves to talk a good game, but out on the field, she's not quite as aggressive. She's not quite a, you know, um, and she's also still trying to find herself too but she does have the background of like knowing that her mom's in sports. So your gender roles don't apply to me. And then my son, Gabe, ironically named after Gabriel Batistuta, my favorite striker ever. He hates soccer. (laughs) Soccer means I'm working. Soccer is loud noise. Soccer is everything that he doesn't like. The only thing he likes about soccer is his name, Gabriel Omar. Yeah, he does theater. He's an artist. He animates and he's has a wonderful voice. So clearly his gifts are elsewhere. But also he also knows that soccer is my thing. That's what I do. That's who I am. It's part of me. I feel like I figured like figured out soccer a little bit later than most kids. I mean, I got into it because I wanted to yeah. by the time that I really started loving it. Was that the same for you? No, I think I found that, that I loved it early on, but no one would kind of entertain it with me I so I would watch games with my dad and we'd talk about it and we both loved it clearly but he didn't know what to do with a soccer loving daughter and so I wanted to play but but like Marco my younger brother and I we were only 11 months apart so we did everything together and he wasn't super into it at that point either so I didn't have anyone to play with my dad didn't believe me he wasn't going to go out to play so when I found it it was also kind of late where I found a team I was in sixth grade the thing was, okay, I'll, we'll sign you up for this team, but you got to figure out kind of how to get there. And if you stick with it for a year, then we'll kind of take it seriously. And so I did like someone, whether it was my parents giving me a ride or my tia's giving me a ride or finding rides with teammates. Um, I stuck it out for a year. And then they're like, look, everything you've done, you quit after two years. Like we're still not taking this seriously. And so I was like, well, you'll see. <laughs> so the 1991 Women's World Cup, right around when I started looking for a team, I was trying to like be more vocal about really liking it. Like I really wanted to play. Someone teach me how to do this. Michelle Akers scored that ridiculous goal and the team won and my dad saw it. So up to this point, it had been like princesses trying to play and everyone making fun of them. And then no one knew, like girls didn't know how to run properly with the proper mechanics and kick the ball properly. And just kind of, he didn't want, you know, like when you see girls play, or guys play that don't usually play sports and you're like, Ooh, I'm not trying to be embarrassed for them because they're doing the best they can. I'm a little bit embarrassed. Like my dad didn't want that for me. Right. He, he saw these women go on the field and just play this game, like both teams, right. Play this ridiculous game and then be badass women and own it. And they own, they were feminine and they were aggressive and they were the best. And he was like, I remember him going, mira, chivetita, mira, 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 Ben, watch this. And so we watched Michelle Ager's goal together, like the highlights or the replay or whatever. And things started changing. So then he bought me like one pair of soccer shorts that I had to like 
figure out how to clean for the next practice or whatever. So ever since then, he kind of started sticking up for me a little bit. So this is where I say like we found it at the same time. Like he started when his mom or his sisters would be like, hey, why are you letting her do this? He would, instead of being like, oh, I know, I'll talk to her. It was more like, she likes to do this. It's okay. She's okay. Let me handle it. This is my daughter. And then he started noticing like female, other female salespeople at work or female VPs or, you know, female presidents of companies and seeing what was out there for his daughters that wasn't the traditional like teacher, secretary, mother, like stay at home mother roles, which there's nothing wrong with that. But clearly like that's not what I was going for and it's not for everyone. What a powerful moment because you think about how women's sports back then did not get much media coverage. And I'm sure you know this from your profession right now, working with the football club, but, but having that moment, you know, where he was able to see it and that it it helped change your relationship and his relationship to you and also change his mindset. What was possible for women to see a parent and, you know, a Latino father do that. Yeah. It was, it's amazing. Cause my mom, like my mom, she would do things like try to skateboard when she was younger and she would, you know, play sports or whatever. But so my mom, like she always encouraged us to do whatever we wanted and be physical. She never stopped us from playing like Cowboys and Indians or playing Robin Hood or, you know, climbing up trees and jumping out of them. Really some of it she didn't know about necessarily. But um, she would do things like try to skateboard. She would do things like try to join her brothers in games. But her mom couldn't find out because then they would get beat because they were playing games. And so she has stories of like how her sisters would like beat her brothers in races or at marbles or whatever, but they could never tell because they weren't supposed to. So she was kind of there for it, but she didn't know like when to push the boundaries or how to do it. So then when my dad kind of saw and like started adjusting his sales a little bit, like she was there for it. She was part of that change and part of the push. It's like she was raised not not even being able to express competitiveness, right? right? It's not that far off in the generations, right? right? right. That we're still challenging these, these uh, you know, these roles. Did you continue to play as adulthood in soccer, some rec leagues, and then transition into running? Well, how did that work for a while? Was a junior? No, sophomore. We got in trouble for something. And we just had to run around the field. And um, one of my friends was on the cross country team. And so I just was like, all right, let's run. Let's get going. Before we realized it, she's like, you just ran, the, you just kept up with me this whole time. We've been talking this whole time. Like you, you can do cross country. And I was like, well, I might as well for um, training in the off season for soccer. Like that way I don't just sit around and do nothing. That's how I ended up doing cross country junior and senior year. And then I, I played rec um, at school at Michigan State. And then when I went, moved to Chicago, when I got my internship at U.S. Soccer, one of the first, like the first friends I made were through a rec league. And so, yeah, I just kept playing soccer over the, now I play a little bit less, just, you know, my body is not quite the same. You play one game, even if it's just like, yeah. <laughs> kick the ball around and you're like oh oh yeah my ankles my ankles so but running I transitioned I started running again 
probably it was like 2000, the end of 2017, the beginning of 2018. I was just tired of being so tired all the time. I had ballooned and I had gone for like with this workout program that like really sucks you in. So I like lost a lot of weight and then I gained it all back because I had work and like an IUD and all of these things. And then I was like the heaviest I'd been, including pregnancy. And I was like, I, I can't do this. Like I can't, I'm not comfortable in my own skin. And how am I supposed to model this behavior to my children if I don't feel comfortable in my own skin? And I started throwing things out there on Instagram. And my cousin, he's a LA Marathon legacy runner. Um, I think he's done it eight times, seven or eight times. Sorry, Benji, I can't remember exactly. And he was just like, no, you're doing great. You're doing, if I did a half mile, if I did one mile, he would be in my Instagram messages being like, you're doing a great job. You know what? Get on Strava. And then I got on Strava. He's like, it's free. Just get the app on your phone. You don't need a watch. You don't need anything. And then he got some of his friends from work to follow me. And so they're just like, he started this little running, walking, like hype train at work among his coworkers and they let me in on it so little by little and I'm like no it's like you don't understand I'm so slow like when I was in high school I did this and when I was in high school I ran this and he's like what are you talking about like if you're if this is the best advice I've ever gotten if you can't smile while you're running you're going too fast and I was like okay so I guess I need to slow down a lot and once I slowed down a lot I found my rhythm, I found my pace, I could go longer distances, and and then I needed a goal. So I signed up for a, like a five miler, a Cinco de Mayo, like Cinco de Miler. I did, I ran that and was like, okay, I can, I can be this slow for a long time. And so I just kept doing it. And the, like that discipline, that sweat, like hard work, uh, I loved it. Yes, the grit. Um, and now my kids are like, ah, oh, they know in the morning when I'm not here, it might be a couple hours before I come home. Um, I'm out running. So, and when I don't run, they're like, are you going running soon? Cause you can tell the difference. How cool is that too? That they just, that that's just what mom does now. Yeah. You know, mom's a runner. She's a marathoner. So it sounds like you're still not sure if you identify with the identity of runner marathoner. Uh, Yeah. But I think I'm still getting used to it. Maybe because you see all these runners and they're so long and lean and I'm not long and lean. I'm all of five feet tall. I got curves like nobody's business. And But um, thankfully, there are other communities out there. I, I don't know if you've seen like online on Instagram of people who look like me. Like I think when I started finally saying, I am a runner instead of I wish I was a runner is when I started thinking about, have you seen Lorena Lightfoot woman? Yes. She's a and I was like, right. Amazing. This is us. This is our culture. Like our people, people who look like me don't look like those long lanky runners. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's in our blood. Yeah, yeah. Like this is in my blood. I'm doing this because I'm part of this land and this is like through the generations. And so now I'm getting better at it, but I'm also trying to get better at like not dimming my light and not making myself small. So I am a marathoner. You're right. Owning it, girl. Yes. <laughs> I was tracking you from California when you ran the Chicago Marathon this year. And I was just like sending you good vibes and thinking about you all day. It was, you know, and seeing those pictures just lit up my heart. I was like, this is 
badass and amazing because if anybody follows your IG, I don't know if it's private or public. It's public. It's public. They, all the pictures every day, you just putting in that money in the bank, the miles and the And I love that. It was so inspiring for me too. And I'm like, you know what? If he can get up and, you know, do two miles, like I can get my butt in the garage gym and do something, you know, like little, do you know how much you're inspiring me and probably the 1500, 1600 people that follow you on Instagram too? Well, that's coming full circle. It's right back at you because so many times I'm like, don't want to get up. And then I think of your posts of you running in the treadmill. And I was like, I can go get on my treadmill or I can go because I like running in the cold. But you know, sometimes in the cold and dark, it gets a little scary. And I'm like, you know, this treadmill is just fine. I can go and do treadmill. And I remember when I did right before I did my first half marathon, I literally did this. I Googled your name and started reading all of the articles that you had written about mindset, about preparing. <laughs> I'm not joking at all. Um, and about and so at one point, I do remember during the first half marathon, I was like, okay, I'm really tired. At this point, this is when Gloria was like, just put one foot in front of the other, just focus on breathing and stepping. And that's what I did. And I did really well like I did better than I thought I was gonna do in that one knowing that you were following me I was like that Gloria's watching <laughs> it was yeah sending you all the good vibes for sure that's why I'm, I'm so glad to connect with you because I think it's like you know recognizing our journeys but also just giving back to empower each other to shine and not even realizing it that we're inspiring each other just to stay consistent every day you know knowing that there's other women out there like you know doing it at work and as moms and as wives and you know as athletes like that all those different roles that we have to keep showing up for each other because it, it matters yeah and right? i think we've been so far removed from our high school years um, I think I really appreciate that I was able to recognize that grit in you and have someone just ahead of me to look up to then. And we weren't super close. We weren't really good friends, um, but you still inspired me then. And to be able to connect with you 20 years later, like we're different people than we were in high school for sure. I'm, I don't know about you, but for sure I'm a different person than I was in high school. But um, we still were able to connect through that, the thread that we recognized back then. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I, our lives intersecting. I feel like that right? How we share similar roles as mom, athletes, professionals, right. um, you know, I'm going to be honest, I'm transparent. I was like, oh shit, what does she remember about me? <laughs> was I like it? Cause I know I'm like the shit I did in high school, either it's like something remember on the soccer field, like willing to do the work, willing to sacrifice to the team. Or it was off the field where I was like total delinquent sometimes. But yeah, I was just, you know, it's so powerful that that was the space that we really ended up, our lives were related, yeah. you know, in that sense. I honestly, when I reached out to you, I think that first time where I, I had been following your Instagram for a long time, I didn't think that you would remember me just because I was so quiet in high school and so like follow the rules and you know, I did all the leadership classes and all the training and all the clubs, but I would never have spoken up or spoken out just because I wanted to be as invisible as possible. Do you feel like you've been able to break through that? You know, all the kids that are in the AP classes that were quote unquote smart. I never saw myself as smart. I never thought of myself as smart. And so I think it was like, that's why I put so much into soccer. Cause I was like, okay, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm smart. I don't think I'm smart. People told me I haven't been smart. 
but I can be athletic. I can be fast. I can be aggressive. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's the space that I felt like I could build an identity and I probably put a lot into. Um, but you were the type of person that I'd be like, Oh, I'm not one of those. Right. Right. I'm not one of those smart kids. Or I'm like, Oh, they already have like this quality, the special quality about them. Yeah. And that was where everyone was like, you're so smart. You're so smart. And even now I have to fight with like, no, by the way, I worked really hard. Like that was really hard. It's not just being smart. It was like, I put in the hours doing those freaking equations and writing the essays and, you know, trying to learn and and putting it in. It it was a lot of hard work. And I think maybe because I was that smart person, people didn't think I was going to make it on the soccer field or stick with it as long as I did. And so that was, that was my outlet. That's where I could be frustrated and, you know, push back and yell. I think I have, I mean, it took me a really long time. Obviously I'm almost 40. And I think through my thirties, I was still like, I would try to talk myself up into standing up for myself and making waves and setting boundaries, but I never quite, like I always backed down just a little bit, like right at the end. And then I actually started getting more coworkers who were also Latinas who are younger than I am. And they came in and they were like, I know what I'm doing. Please listen to me. I'm willing to learn, like always willing to learn, but also setting their foot, putting their foot down. Where I was like, this is what we're working for. This is what I've been standing up for this whole time. Um, I love this. I can't be a role model for them if I'm timid or quiet or telling them not to make a scene or telling them, you know, just do what they're telling you. Um, and so having those younger coworkers and I'm still, we're not coworkers anymore, but I love them to death. And they're our, my, my hype squad, so to speak. We try to hype each other up. They really kind of put things into perspective. Like what I had been learning and trying to do kind of clicked with, okay, I'm too old for this. I'm too old to be playing it small. I'm too old to be shy. I'm too old. You know, I, what I have to say matters. And I have this experience now where I can say something and I can back it up. Boom. That's why we're here. That's right. (laughs) I don't know if recognizing it or being aware of it or not, but by you being in that space did make the way for them to be there. It's just a different generation. They're using their voice differently, but by you being there gave them access to be there. And I think that's where, right. So even though you feel like in your mind, you were quiet or you weren't doing enough or speaking up enough, your presence as a brown woman, smart, athletic, educated, being in that space is speaking. Yeah. And I think that's where I was like, okay, I paved the way, but it doesn't help anyone if I'm playing it small now. Maybe I can learn from them how they're using their voice. And together, Captain Planet, when our forces combine, the next generation is going to make an even bigger difference. Right. Because you're playing it less small than your mom. True. Right. And similar to me, you know, my mom was like, oh, Mia, you're doing all these things that I wish I would have done. And I said, but you did a lot to bring me this far. Right. And then I hope I'm doing enough. And you're right. I think it, it because of how we're raised and it takes time to really feel like we can we own and we can own our space in this world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I started, that's really why I started this podcast. And I love it so much. You know, the underlying intention, maybe I'll meet Oprah, but you know. Let's figure out how to make that happen. One of these Let's, days. Come on. One of these days. <laughs> but the, the big intention is just to elevate our voices to create a space 
And then also for our children, right? Like one day, maybe they're when they're 20, 30 years old, they're like, oh, our moms were like chopping it up over a podcast. Here's what they were like, you yeah. know? Uh, you know, that's funny. Um, one of the things too, where I never used to want, so a big thing where I worked before was to not take, not ask players for pictures, not like tell where you were, play it down because you needed to be professional and that wasn't very professional. I didn't want my name on anything. Like I didn't want to stand out too much. And then I started watching, um, who do you think you are? You know, that ancestry show. And oh, I was yeah, like, yeah. my name, you know, maybe it's not that important to me. Um, I know it's important to my parents when they see like venue press officer, Elizabeth Sanchez, you know, knowing that I get or whatever, but maybe in a couple generations, someone's going to be looking up for their mother or their grandmother, and they're going to come across this ancestor. Like I'm going to be an ancestor. I'm someone's ancestor. So my name needs to be on the record. Wow. That's where I started being like, yeah, put my name on it. I'm in charge of it. I will do my best to run this venue, this press conference, this, whatever it is I'm running, I'm going to do my best and you can put my name on it. And in 50 years or a hundred years, you know, my name will still be on the record. Owning your voice and making your space and making sure you have space in this world is bigger than you. Yeah. Cause it's someone, you know, someone's going to be looking for guidance from their ancestors and be like someone, you know, she did it. That's, and that's hugely powerful. You're in PR, right? Yes. You're all about giving voice and shaping a narrative. Exactly. Of Chicago Fire Football Club. Do you ever think about how <laughs> amazingly mind-blowing and powerful that is? Well, I hadn't. Thank you for putting that into perspective. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, before telling the story of people going through you know, under 14 camps, making it through to the women's national team and winning world cups. And now I have, I'm working closely with the Academy and seeing kids come through who are going to be signing, who just signed, who, you know, are going to be first team players telling their story, shaping their narrative and see how that, what that means for the city of Chicago, for soccer fans in Chicago, for Mexican Americans and Polish Americans and German Americans in Chicago. Like people see themselves reflected in these players and being a part of that is really, really special. And I love, you know, I can't, I don't play as much anymore. Certainly I can't play professionally, um, but I can still be involved in the sport in a way that's meaningful and makes a difference and gives a voice to other people. You are the instrument in which you're helping pay attention and shape these narratives of these players, these future players whose stories are going to be, you know, written as well. Yeah. Right. And it, it's, it's different if filtered through some other person, identity, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and that's interesting kind of getting that at. too, because um, a lot of the players I work with are Spanish speaking primarily. So I'm their interpreter for interviews, media interviews. So I need to learn about them, about their culture, about what they're trying to say so that when I, their voice is being filtered through me, I'm being true to them and not, you know, something doesn't get lost in translation, literally. Exactly. So it's not just knowing the language, right? You're understanding them as a person and understanding the meaning behind, okay, they're using my voice. Right. Like I'm speaking for them. Yeah. How do I yeah. want to make sure they get represented in the media right, or right. in this interview or with this person? It's very cool. Yeah. 
That's crazy. <laughs> Thanks for putting it into perspective like that. No pressure. Well, I just, I mean, working with young people, I mean, I, you know, I think about being a parent and how just more conscious you are of the impact you have, you know, and I don't know, like if, did you have like a guiding mission in your life? I mean that, or do you feel like you have a, a like a spirituality or larger perspective around like a mission or what you, what kind of guides you like these kind of principles or, or anything like I that? I feel like the, when I started off, that was kind of it. So I, I actually went to school not to be in communications. I went as a veterinary, like pre-vet. I wanted to be a veterinarian and I got there and I missed soccer so much and it seemed really silly. But then I thought about it and I was like, this is sports is what connected me to my family. It's what connected me to my dad. It's what connected me to my brothers. It's what gave me my voice. Like it's not really as silly as it sounds like off the cuff. Right. And then the more I thought of it, like kind of what we already spoke about, that that's where I had my voice. That's where I found my feet. That's where I had my foundation um, to be myself and not to be what other people thought I should be. And so that was my thing um, is if I can create a moment or facilitate, not create, but facilitate a moment for someone and where they have a similar realization to what my dad and I had, that's worth it. You know, one person, two people, three people over the course of my life, that'll be worth it. And so that's kind of how I started. That was, that was my outlook. And I think that's still my outlook today because even during the pandemic and when things were getting really bad and dealing with mental health and all of that, like being going out to a field and being at a game or at a training session for the first time in six months or nine months or a year, however ridiculously long it was, like that really, I, I really felt at home and at peace there in a way that maybe being actually at home doesn't provide for me. Powerful. And I don't know if you meant to get that deep, but when you're saying I want to create these moments and similar to what you and your dad had, I mean, you're actually saying I want to inspire a shift in consciousness, yeah. shift in mindset yeah. and how be a catalyst to, to change perceptions. Yeah. Right? So deep. I love it. But before we wrap up today, you have to tell us about the Leo Messi hat trick. Oh, the Leo Messi hat trick. Normally in the US, we have like the parameters of separating your job and you're not a fan. But in Latin America, that's not a thing. And in Argentina, especially like you are born an Argentina football fan before you're anything else. Right. And I, <laughs> I spent most of that game chasing people around the stadium and having to escort them out. So then I would be like in the middle of talking to someone, diverting their attention away from the game. They were like already worked so hard to sneak into. And then it was just like, whoa, and Leo Messi scored again. And then, uh, and then again. <laughs> and so uh, I, I'm missing this. Like I, this is why I do it and I'm missing it. Um, and I'm making this poor guy miss it too, <laughs> like already snuck in. Um, so that was, it was, that event was really interesting to talk about being a Latina in sports because you're dealing with a lot of men from South America with a little bit of older school mindset, people who don't necessarily trust, you know, I got the thing where I would come in 
and tell uh, someone like, okay, this is what Argentina is doing. And he, this person literally was like, no, they're not allowed to do that. Got on the phone with the guy who was managing Argentina and the guy was like, no, this is what we're doing. And like, okay, that's what they're doing. And I was like, I just told you the same exact thing. And you just totally went over me, you know, to get the same answer. So that was a very interesting exercise in managing my ego, but also standing up for myself to be like, we already set these rules. I'm in touch with them. We are, you don't have to keep second guessing me. It hadn't happened in a really long time. And so when it happened to that extent, um, it, it was a reminder that not everyone has shifted their mindset because there were times where we had a really good group of people traveling around. And even now at the fire, our comms team is three people and two of us are women. The other person is male, but he's, uh, he's African-American. He's actually Jamaican. Um, so he's not African-American. He's Jamaican. But so we're a very diverse group. And then at U.S. Soccer, uh, more than half of our events, uh, like operations team was women. And then we were, you know, doing our thing and everyone has their groove. And then we'd go to these other stadiums and we'd be at a table with all males and it was like 80% white male. And so we'd be like, oh, right, this is still out in the world. I think it's still really important to continue to talk about that, right? And to highlight instances where, uh, I remember being in South Florida because that's where I went to graduate school. And uh, yeah, when we played co-ed soccer, it was just like, yeah, they're like, what? Like, okay, we're doing a co-ed league, but guys were either like super timid on you or they were like, oh, you think you can play on the same field as me? I'm going to show, right? So they were extra hard on you. So I think that plays out in a lot of other- Yeah, and I feel like, so it also depends. I remember for one team, everyone, every single journalist I encountered called me Nina. And then they were like, we're just, that's- how we say girl or woman or whatever. And I was like, okay, but you have to understand that when you do that in the U S people are going to react really poorly because you're being very demeaning. And they're like, Oh no, no, we don't mean it that way. You know? But I was like, okay, but that's what it is. Like you might not mean it that way, but you're calling me a little girl and you want me to help you figure this out. I, that's going to be an issue. Or like when you call women girls or oh girls sports, I'm like it's women's sports. Like would you say boys? Yeah. You, would you switch out boy in that context? Like so, I'm trying. I'm trying to be very mindful of that with my son. Even like in this holiday season, I'm like, oh, it's Frosty the Snow Person. Yeah. yeah. Why does it have to be gingerbread men? Yeah. Gingerbread woman can run just as fast too. Right. Like, and then people are like, oh my gosh, you're taking it to such extremes, and you're like, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not taking, maybe you just haven't realized that this is how, this is how we've been conditioned. And language is powerful. The meaning be, I mean, yes. And again, that folds into why, why this podcast to me is important to create this small space in the world is because recognizing those things that we say consciously or unconsciously to others or to ourselves matter, right. right? What we say, I mean, obviously most importantly, what we say to ourselves, right? And, and has and that's where the genius piece comes in of the gritty genius podcast because the grit is adversities and once we get past the adversity does the message change to ourselves does i've survived this this and that and you know what like i can freaking do this i'm one badass person doesn't feel like it every day and we wake up with a cape on and all rainbows and sunshine but i'm smart i'm intelligent i can do this i can figure it out and that was that was how i had to shift narrative 
you know, uh, Celine Alatore, who I've had on a, or Selene, um, who I've had on a previous podcast, we were doing Chopping It Up with the Chicas, um, another kind of series. And uh, it's the same thing. Like, you know, she's a Latina and she's a marathoner. And I love, like, I want to get us three on a, on a podcast together because it's some of the similar themes that you see from Latina women that are about our age or younger, where we're aware of these messages and being in spaces and elevating our voice in spite of these messages we've been conditioned right. to. I did listen to your series with her and I loved it. It was so great. Yeah, I, I love connecting because we all have different lived experiences, but there's these themes. And one big theme is like, it's bigger than us. We recognize the importance of uh, being uncomfortable and creating our space and using our voice because it's just going to help the next Absolutely. generation. Yes. And I think, so bringing it back to our soccer days, where I specifically have this one vivid memory where we were... Okay, so it's two memories. It's like the same thing, but it's connected. We were waiting in the hallway to go outside. We were waiting for someone to get something so we could all go outside. And you came in and we're like, oh, we have five minutes. Let's do 30 second, like, what, what is it? Like toe touches where you like, you have a partner and you go in between people's legs. Like, we can do that while we're waiting. So then when we get out there, we can start, you know, start practice faster because we don't need to warm up as quickly. And I was like, thank you. Someone... Like I was so bored and like tired of sitting there. I was like, we could be more effective. We could be more efficient. Like everyone's just like bored and complaining and whatever. It's like, instead of complaining, we could do something. So then after you had graduated um, and I think I was a junior or senior, I don't remember. You came back for whatever reason. And I had been... Like, again, I was supposed to be one of the leaders on the team, but I was terrified of everyone else. So I really wasn't saying much. I wasn't leading very well. And um, you came back and you had been, and it was like the same scenario where we were in the hallway and you were like, why are we wasting time? Let's do something. And you had us doing like partner drills again before we went out to the, and I was like, I remember thinking like, this is what I needed. This is what I missed. Like, you know, how can I be that person that says, okay, we're wasting time here. We can do so much better and it'll only make us better as a whole. And so that's my memory of you. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. That's such a gift because still to this day, struggle with complaining and people complaining versus doing something about it. Yeah, like if I'm in a work setting or coworkers, I'm such a problem solver. Like, what can we do now? What can we do about mm-hmm. it now? Like, we can't do anything about the circumstances that are out of our control, but what can we do now? Um, that I feel like is part of the grit and that hustle that I've probably used throughout my life of how, you know, I strategize things in my... So thank you for that. That helps. That really helps me kind of remember who I was back then and how that's like served me throughout my life. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure watching you grow. Same here. I'm glad we can connect over IG and this podcast. Hopefully this is the first of any to come. Um, where can, can folks find you to follow your journey? Hey, you can find me on Instagram at Chivet, C-H-I-V-E-T. And that's pretty much my only, oh, I'm on Twitter as well. Um, but I don't post nearly as much on Twitter. It's E Sanchez and then the number six, because that was my soccer number. But if you're going to follow me, then just expect a lot of family pictures and a lot of pictures of my feet with some mileage. And some I love it. That's that's it. That's who you are. 
thank you for sharing this space with me. It's been an awesome conversation. And uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, no, that's it. Thank you so much. I It's really an honor to be here. I really am your biggest fan. So thank you. Right, right back at you. So, all right. Thank you everybody for listening and uh, peace out. We'll catch you next time.